0: Hey guys, you have your Bibles, you turn to me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we're going to read a little bit there this morning together about a very significant scene uh, in the very beginning of Jesus' ministry that involved two of his disciples, Andrew and Simon Peter. Leading up to this particular scene that we're going to look at, uh, John the Baptist will have had several different encounters with him he will have seen him, and he will have identified Jesus as being the Lamb of God. And then as we look here at verse 35 in chapter 1, uh, and it says, the next day, John, that's John the Baptist that we're talking about in our Scripture today. So let's read together verse 1, starting, I'm sorry, verse, chapter 1, starting with verse 35. It says this, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him, and it was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had Followed Jesus, And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. I want to tell you a story this morning about a man uh, by the name of John. Now, John was born several hundred years ago. In fact, it was 1725 to be exact. John's mother died when he was just seven years of age, and his father was the captain of a merchant ship. And so uh, he, he became responsible for raising John. So John ended up joining his father on sea voyages until the age of 18, and when, at that point, he joined the Royal Navy. But this didn't last very long because John very quickly tried to desert the Royal Navy. And so he ended up being relieved of his military duty and he went to work on a slave vessel. Now, John saw this work as kind of an easy way uh, for him to, uh, he saw this as kind of an easy way for him to make good money. It was an easy life. And, and in the years that followed, John, John served on several different ships that were heavily, heavily involved in the slave trade. John's mother had been a devout Christian, and for the seven years that she was a part of his life, she had done the best that she could to teach him about God and to demonstrate God's love to him and to teach him about Jesus. But John had basically abandoned his faith. And it wasn't until 1748 when when John would have been about 23 years of age that he had a change of heart. But he still worked as a sailor aboard these ships that were transporting slaves. And he even served as the captain of three different voyages that trafficked captive Africans to the West Indies from 1750 to 1754. Now, as John's faith matured, and as John grew in his understanding of God's word and his understanding of what it meant to really be a follower of Jesus, John's heart began to change, and he began to experience a remorse that he had not experienced before regarding his involvement with the slave trade. He realized that he could no longer reconcile the faith that he had and the relationship that he had with Jesus Christ with his job, with something that had been a huge part of his life. And so, John dedicated the remainder of his life to partnering with abolition work and was actually one of the founders of the anti-slavery society. In John's old age, he became very feeble and he, he lost his eyesight. He ended up dying in 1807, which was just nine months before the parliament in England abolished the slave trade that, that was active in the British Empire a slave trade that he was so much a part of but now so strongly opposed. I I love John's story for a couple of reasons. First, it's a pretty incredible story of a life that gets completely turned around by the grace of God. It's also a story about a journey through that grace and how over time John grew in his faith and in his convictions. Now, grace is not an unfamiliar topic to us. We talk about it a lot. We sing songs about grace. We read scriptures about grace, but we don't always really understand the fullness of the grace of God that's given to us. And we also don't understand sometimes how we make a journey into and through that grace. When we consider the story of John that I shared with you just a moment ago, we see a picture of grace, that existed in his life from the very earliest point of his mother teaching him about God and doing her best to introduce Jesus to him. And we also see a picture of grace later on in John's life when he finally came to the realization that he had a genuine need for God. And we can go just a little bit further and see a picture of grace when, when John came to understand that his past life, what he had once accepted and did not see as opposed to his relationship with God, was something that he not only had to reject, but he began to make amends for it. He began to fight against that very system. What we see in John's life was that once, once he reached the point of making a decision for Jesus, he didn't just become a Christian and call it good. He began this journey that was just bathed in God's grace. And that journey brought him a place of simply receiving salvation to living a fully surrendered life. Our emphasis over the next six weeks is going to be on that journey. The journey that we are invited into, that we continue on, With God and His grace. And when we look at the life of Jesus Christ, we see that He was on a journey too. His life was in constant movement as He went from one place to the next, teaching and healing as He went. He never settled in one place. In fact, in Matthew chapter 8, we see Jesus speak to this. And there are two important things that we're going to notice. But look at this scripture with me this morning. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then another disciple came to him and said, Lord, let, let, let me go and bury, just let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. It seems kind of harsh on the surface, but we have to understand what Jesus is saying here. There's two very important things. The first thing Jesus is saying is that there is a cost to following him. There is a cost of following Jesus. The second thing he's saying is that Jesus, he was continually on a journey. There was no rest for the weary in this situation. If we were going, we were moving. Even Jesus' disciples, when they, when they made the decision to follow him, they had to make that decision right then and there to leave their lives to walk away from what they knew. They did not wait until Jesus came around again. They stepped out in faith and they stepped into this journey which Jesus was inviting them to participate. That journey always begins with the invitation. In our text today, the invitation was very simple. It was just this, come and see. Jesus invited the two disciples that were with John the Baptist to just come and see. And the grace that is embodied in Jesus, it had to have been really compelling for these two disciples who had been traveling with and working with and listening to the teaching of John the Baptist to hear somebody say, well, just come and see, and that to be enough for them to choose to follow him, there had to be something compelling about the grace of Jesus Christ. Because he he did not force them. It's never forced, by the way. The grace of Jesus is never forced. The grace of God is never forced. It simply invites us, as Jesus invited them, it invites us along for the journey. But here's the thing. Following Jesus in his journey of grace is not a spectator sport, church. There was, with Jesus' disciples, and there is with each one of us a point when come and see will turn into follow me. Come and see is about becoming familiar with the journey. It's about getting close enough to, to explore and to decide and to see if this is something that you, you really want to do. You see, when Jesus told the disciples in John 1 to come and see, it was prompted by their simple curiosity. They just wanted to see what was this guy about, what was he doing, where was he staying. And Jesus, Jesus even asked them, he goes, what do you want? Because they were following him. What, what? Jesus turns around, what do you want? Their curiosity regarding who Jesus was and, and what Jesus was about was enough to get their attention. And it was at that point that Jesus said, Come and check it out. Come and see. But eventually, as it was with Jesus' disciples and it is with us, the curiosity, the come and see, turns into follow me. And it's at that point that Jesus' disciples had to decide if they were really in it for what the journey was all about. We're faced with the same decision. Am I ready to move from come and see to follow me? Now, in our last series, we we focused on this question, what does the life of a follower of Jesus look like? And we learned that following Jesus takes time. It takes intentional time and investment of our lives to faithfully follow Jesus. But each story, your story, my my story, it is a unique story. You see, our story is not written out of our own abilities or out of our own strength, but it's written out of the incredible grace of God. And that grace is very personal. It's unique for you. And it will challenge you on a deeply personal level. You see, for some of you, when we talk about investing in your God time, this means having to make some serious personal changes just to accomplish that 15 minutes of fellowship with God every day. For some of you, when we talk about gather time, this means having to make some really hard decisions about what you have decided is important in your life versus what God has instructed as being important for your life. It just points to the truth that the grace that God has extended is unique for you because for some people, those things are not a struggle. For some of you, when we talk about the God time or when we talk about the gather time, you're like, yeah, I totally got that. I am experiencing that grace of God in my life. The grace that you experience is unique for you, but your challenge will be different. Your follow me will always be different than someone else's follow me. But regardless of how your challenge may be different than another, there's one thing that is the same for everyone and that it is grace costs something. Grace of God is, it's true, it's favor we don't deserve. The grace of God is love that we don't deserve. The grace of God is favor given to us when we deserve the opposite of that favor. The grace of God is an absolutely free expression absolutely free expression of the love of God. And all of these things are true, but grace does cost something. The simplest way for us to define grace is that it is a gift. The Apostle Paul writes about grace. He uses the word haris. And this, this is a word that comes from the root word that means that which brings joy. That which brings joy. The idea is that the grace that's given and received should bring joy and gratitude. You understand that? The grace that we receive from God should bring in us joy and gratitude. That means that we as the recipients of God's grace should respond in thanksgiving and we should respond in a commitment to the giver of grace. Now, let me be clear that this is not some kind of a transactional relationship that we enter into with God. It's not that we say, okay, God, uh, you're gonna give me the grace and, and if you give me the grace and I will do this because the giving of God's grace to us is simply an outpouring of his love for us and there is nothing... Nothing that you can do, there's nothing that I can do to ever rate that grace. It's a gift. God loves us so much, and there's nothing that we can do to make God love us more or less. Think about that for a moment. God did not start loving you because you're such a good person. He didn't. He didn't look down at you and say, man, Linda, Linda, you are such a great person. I'm going to start loving you now. That's not the way the love of God works. That's not the way the grace of God works. And if we can start with that premise, then we also can say that if we start doing better, God's not going to all of a sudden love us more. Oh, Haley, I see you're growing so much in your relationship with me. Now I'm going to give you more love. No. And on the same token, if you start to digress, if you start to fall away, God's not going to say, well, you aren't where you used to be, so I'm not going to give you as much love as I had before. The love of God does not change. The amount of grace that is afforded to us does not change. Why? Because that's what grace is. But it does cost something. It costs because grace has called me and it has called you to follow. It has called us to follow Jesus. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, the price is our life. The price is your life. Because if you're going to follow Jesus, guys, it means you have to give up your own life in order that you might receive The only life there is to live. Grace costs because grace condemns sin in our lives. Grace justifies us before God. Grace costs because it required the most costly payment of all, and that was God's Son. The Apostle Paul reminded us in 1 Corinthians 16 that we were bought at a price. And that price was the death of Christ. So yes, this this grace that is free, that is undeserved, that is favor beyond what we can imagine, that that we can do nothing to merit, does cost something. It costs everything. When Jesus met Simon in John 1, he said to him, he said, you are, you are Simon, son of John, he said, but you will be called Cephas. That name means Peter. And Jesus looked at Simon. He knew who he was. He knew what he was about. He knew where Simon had come from. Jesus saw into the very heart of Simon, and he said to him, you will be Peter. And this was not just a a simple name change. Uh, This was Jesus taking Simon from come and see, to follow me, to you will be, and here's what that means. For Peter, it meant a change not not only in the very core of his life, leaving behind his job and his livelihood, but also leaving behind his attitudes and perhaps even his hang-ups. And when we follow the life of Peter, what we will see is that he did still struggle. Peter didn't flip a switch and become everything that God had made him to be in that moment. Peter still struggled. Go read about it. He was a pain. He was difficult. He questioned. He argued. He thought better of himself than he should have. He denied Jesus. The name that Jesus gave him, which means the rock, would have certainly been called into question by some of those who were around him because throughout his life, He didn't get it right, and he certainly wasn't a rock. But here's the thing. He never stopped his journey with Jesus. He never stepped out of the grace that had been afforded to him by Jesus. And it's towards the end of John's gospel that we see a significant point in Peter's life, a moment perhaps of full surrender When Jesus asked him this in John chapter 21, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Oh, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? At this point, Peter's like, Jesus, come on, man. You've asked me this twice already. Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you, where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said this to him, follow me. come and see, you will be, follow me. It began when Jesus said to Simon, come and see. And then it ended when Jesus said to Peter, follow me. We know from Peter's story that it was he who would preach a powerful message following the Holy Spirit, falling on those who waited and gathered and prayed. And from that message, thousands would be saved. Peter went on a journey of grace with Jesus that eventually brought him to the point where he was that rock upon which the church was built. He was the voice that that boldly preached the message of God's grace available to all. Through Jesus Christ. Now Peter's journey of grace was unique, but it was not the only journey of grace because each one of us has a journey of grace. It begins when God's grace says to us, come and see and we begin that walk. And that journey for, all, for each one of us will cost something personally because God's desire, his intent is to transform us. Hear me this morning, God's desire is to transform your heart. To transform your mind. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know what God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And, And transformation... Here's good news. Transformation is not something that you have to muster your way up to or chase after. This is not on you, guys. God says you need to be transformed, but then he does not place the burden of responsibility on you. Ezekiel chapter 36, look what God says. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. The transformation that God is calling us into, that Jesus is calling you into, is a gift of God that he will do for you. God says, this is who you are, but this is who I am going to make you. This is Jesus said to Simon, you will be Peter. It is often said that Jesus loves us to meet us where we are, but he also loves us too much to leave us there. You've probably heard that, and it's true. You remember John I talked about at the beginning of the message today. Well, John, whose full name is John Newton, experienced that incredible transformation. He went on a journey of grace with God that began when he decided that he needed to be serious about knowing God. That was his come and see moment. And it was later on in his life that he realized that God was calling him beyond come and see to follow me and to you will be. And his life became concentrated, consecrated fully to God. It's fully committed to God. And it was out of that incredible heart transformation that he wrote words like this. "'Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, "'that saved a wretch like me. "'I once was lost, but now am found, "'was blind, but now I see. "'It was grace that taught my heart to fear, "'and grace my fears relieved. "'How precious did that grace appear "'the hour I first believed.'" Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will, my shield and portion, be as long as life endures. Yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. The earth, Shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine. When we've been there, 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. I bet you didn't know there are seven verses. See, when Jesus called Andrew and Peter to come and see, it was not long that he told them, I will send you out to fish for people. Jesus told them, if you follow me, you will be called, and if you are called, you will be commissioned. The life of a Jesus follower cannot be a sideline activity. The life of a Jesus follower does not reside on the bench. There is no retirement for the life of a Jesus follower. There is no, my time is done for the life of a Jesus follower. My father is 77 years of age and he is battling stage four terminal cancer. He only has a few years left to live. For as long as I can remember My father has been a servant of the church. He has certainly done his time. He has certainly paid his dues. And I remember all of us kids kept urging my father to retire. Dad, retire. Dad, retire. And this was long before he was diagnosed with cancer. And he finally did retire in the sense that he stopped getting paid. My father is a has been for over 20 years a minister to international students on the University of Kansas, and this means that on a regular basis throughout the week, he's leading Bible studies for students who do not speak English well, and he's meeting one-on-one with students who do not speak English well, and he uses his education in English as a second language to help them learn how to speak English, and he uses the Word of God as the foundational book to teach them and these students write papers for their for their classes and they bring them to my father and my father reviews them and helps them fix the things they need to fix and he and he takes them to the airport where they need to travel and he lets them drive his car and have accidents in his car as they are learning how to drive in the United States and my father who is 77 years old and only has a few years left to live is still doing this to this day and does not get paid a dime. You know why? Because being a Jesus follower is not a sign line activity. He can't stop. I mean, admittedly, we kids have been like, Dad, you should slow down just a little bit. And he has. He can't, he can't not. But he still is pouring into the lives of these young people and meeting with them. And there's not a day that I don't call him where he has just come from or is going to something even if he has nothing in his physical body left to give. Because he can't not do what God has called him to do. The journey of grace that Jesus is inviting each of us on begins with come and see. Follow me, you will be, go and do, So my question for you this morning is, where do you find yourself? Where do you find yourself on this this journey? What's your place in this journey? Are you still just beginning to respond, or have you not even responded to the incredible grace of Jesus? Have you never responded to the very simple, come and see? Come and see what this is about or maybe you've been living a life of come and see for a very long time and you've never really truly responded to the call that says follow me. Unfortunately, that's where I think many people who call themselves Christians today probably are. They are in that that limbo place of come and see and they have They have reasoned in their own minds that they are where they need to be because they did respond to that call that that they heard and and they they went up and they prayed that prayer and they made that decision, but their life has never gone from come and see to follow me because once you start following Jesus, that means it's going to cost you something. That means you've got to turn your back on some things that you have decided for a long time are extremely important to you. That means that you have to shift the priorities in your life, the time in your life. That means that you have to start investing in the things that God says are to be invested in. So we, we don't like to get to that follow me place. And God forbid we should go from that to a complete and total life transformation when God says to us now, you will be who I have created you to be. Now go and do. So where are you on that journey? The invitation into God's grace demands a change in you. Maybe your past come and see, your past follow me. Maybe you're thinking about the you will be. Just kind of I I want to follow but don't don't fully change me. Don't don't ask that much of me. Don't, don't don't pull a Peter on me. God, I I don't need a new name. I like the one I have right now. Maybe you've been through that and you take on that new identity and and you and you feel confident where you are and now God's saying okay go and do. And you're like, "Hey God, I am 70 years old. God, I have a full-time job. God, I have five kids. God, I am tired. God, I did that years ago." And God's like, "No, I need I need you to go and do. I have work for you." Earlier I mentioned that the journey of grace is a personal one, but it's not a private one. It's a journey that's not only for us, but it's through us and it's to others. We are given the opportunity to join Jesus in partnership in his mission. And so I'm inviting you to go on this journey of grace. No matter what stage you may find yourself today, we're going to spend the next Five weeks together, digging deep into what this grace looks like. We're going to talk about the seeking grace of God, the prevenient grace of God. We're going to talk about the saving grace of God, and we're going to talk about the sanctifying grace of God. And And I I know that we have a lot of things going on, and I know that you're busy, but I just want to challenge you to be here each week as we go on this journey together so that we can have a better A fuller understanding of God's grace. You're going to experience things that you've never experienced before if you journey with God and His grace. So the invitation is simple for you today come and see. Come and see. Are you willing to accept that today? Are you ready to accept that today? We're going to sing this song here in a moment that I read the lyrics from just a moment ago. Um, Kind of a cool story about John, isn't it? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. As we sing this morning, perhaps you can reflect on the grace that you have already experienced in your life. Or perhaps as we sing this morning, you will realize that God's grace has been made available to you and it's time to receive it. Whatever place you find yourself this morning, our altars are open today for prayer, for reflection, for response. And as we gather and we sing and we pray, I encourage those of you who are out here, if there's anyone that comes up, come and pray with them. Let them experience God's grace through you. Would you stand with me as we pray and prepare to sing? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful, so grateful for your incredible grace. Grace that transforms us, grace that leads us into things and into places that uh, in our own power and our own authority we might not be able to do, God. But because of who you are, we are able to do that. God, as Simon Peter and Andrew were drawn in just by simple curiosity, your invitation to them was come and see and Father, I know this morning that there are some hearts here today that are in that curiosity place and you are knocking on their hearts saying, come on, come and see. Come and see what this is all about. And there are others of us, Father, that are at different places. We've, we've gone past come and see. Maybe we're thinking about whether or not we really want to follow you or we're thinking about whether or not we really want to be transformed and be fully in or maybe we're wrestling with what it is that you're calling us to go and do right now. So God, whatever that is, I pray that we would place those things before your feet today. Listen to you speak to us through your Holy Spirit as we sing. We pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen.